The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man had also died, where he was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, Send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of our Lord. For those of you who are visiting us, you are very, very welcome this morning. St. Jude's Church is now well about halfway through a year of outreach, a year of mission. And this is not going to be a year which has an end date because our commission from the Lord goes on and on. But yesterday, some of us who were here had a most marvelous day of instruction and teaching along the lines of what Mike was leading us a few minutes ago. If you weren't able to be here yesterday, you missed a very good thing. Go onto the internet, look it up. I'm told it's all recorded what was taught yesterday. So that's one thing I want you to do, especially those who weren't able to be here yesterday. And this leaflet was given out to everybody, I think, about three or four weeks ago, where in a sermon series of six sermons just at the moment, and we have looked at Moral Order, Suffering Transformed. Last Sunday we had an excellent dialogue between science and the Bible, um, led very well for us. And today our title is a living hope. Let's turn to God in prayer. Father God, we thank you that you are the God of hope. Every other religion in the world is hopeless. Thank you for the living hope you have given in Christ. 
Warm our hearts this morning, each one we pray, for your name's sake. Amen. Smoking kills. It's written on every cigarette packet that you can buy. I haven't bought any recently, so I'm not too sure, but I've seen it on television, and I'm advised that every packet carries a death warning. But we all see people smoking. I guess most of us here have lost a relative or a loved one because they smoked. Wendy and I are always horrified when we see young mothers expecting another child and they've been warned by the medical profession again and again this will affect their baby. They go on smoking. Smoking kills. Jesus is being just as blunt when it's his teaching carrying many, many warnings. This sermon today could potentially ruin your day or change your destiny. The parable, like all of Jesus' parables, is not to be taken word by word literally, but as a godly indication of literal facts which hold a heavenly meaning. There are two men, two destinies, both violently apart. A rich man. He had no problems, at least until the day he died. Fabulously comfortable home. He had the most opulent furniture. Goodness knows how many servants, I guess, to look after his every need and those of his family. He had cordon bleu food every single day. I'm sorry for those of you who don't know my wife well enough, but I live very well indeed. But this man's food was tremendous. If he'd been here today, he'd have had the best cars possibly even his own jet at Eastley to fly him in different places. He would have had a position in society, been respected by the citizens of the local town. The poor beggar had almost less than nothing. Wretched, filthy, dirty, covered in rags for clothes, grossly underfed, sick, and his body covered in weeping sores. No place in society at all. And his greatest comfort was when the dogs came and licked the sores on his legs. 
a total extremity from fabulous life to degradation. I find it utterly amazing and a higher authority than I confirmed this was true, that in all of Jesus' parables, the only person Jesus names in the story is in this parable, the poor man, Lazarus. Go on to Luke chapter 15 and we read about a father who had two sons. We're not told the dad's name. We're not told the children's names. Whether it was a prodigal son or the one that stayed at home, we don't know their names. But here was this poor, wretched man in God's, in Jesus' description, named Lazarus. There's no mention of the rich man's name. It just says, there was a rich man. There's no mention of the names of his five brothers back at home. And we read the simple words in each case. The rich man died. The poor beggar died. A very good friend of mine who's a minister in another place, early in his ministerial career in the Church of England, one of the earliest funerals that he conducted was of a young man of about 28, right at the beginning of his life with the world in front of him. And my friend went to visit this young man in hospital and then about a week, ten days later, conducted his funeral. And he, the, my minister friend, told the story against himself. He said, as I visit him in bed in hospital, I said to him, naming him, what's it like to die? Oh, my friend said it was one of those experiences he wished hidden the earth would open up and swallow him. But the friend replied this, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus rode from the dead, rose from the dead. I'm going to see him. And a few days later, he was gone. I took off once in a very big RAF aircraft from just along the shore here at a place called Thorny Island. There was five on the crew of this massive aeroplane transport aircraft. Five of us took off, only three came back alive. Two have their graves in the military cemetery at Thorny Island. I never knew them before that night when they were on that crew. Didn't know anything about their wives, or their families, how old they were, anything about them at all. One was a flight engineer and the other was a navigator. Once a year-ish, Wendy and I go out to Thorny Island, we'd stand by the grave. We're not morbid about it because I never knew these guys. But as I look at their names, I think I could have been there. I was flying in Aden, in the Yemen, for nearly two years in the Royal Air Force on this same transport aircraft. 
And one night I had a cold and I wasn't allowed to fly. And I said to my captain, I feel much better. Let me come with you. So-and-so, another co-pilot, was coming in from married quarters off the base. And I said, let Tony stay at home. And he said, no, 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 John. You see the doc tomorrow morning. You'll be pronounced fit. And off they went. And at 3 o'clock the following afternoon, I stood at Tony's grave. That aircraft crashed into the desert with the loss of all on board. And truly, I can say that Tony, Tony Sweet, his name was, died in my place. Sometimes in our lives, we come face to face with the brevity of life. I've got a niece who died on Friday week ago, 57 years of age. Wendy and I are going over to her funeral this week. My sister, my elder sister, lost her husband six years ago. They had four children, all of them married. One family is in Hong Kong, one is in the east coast of America. And two families are in this country, and just before Christmas, we were told that both of the boy, the boy and the girl, my niece and her brother, had terminal cancer. Nikki would not reach Easter. Well, she died last Friday, Friday week ago. And my sister knows exactly as many, many, if not every one of us this morning, A loved one. Suddenly no more. This is not a game. There is an end for every single one of us. And according to what Jesus taught, it's either heaven or hell. Remember who's speaking. This is Jesus, the Son of God, who came from heaven. He knew the place. How many sermons have you ever heard about hell? Not many, I bet. A horrible subject. Jesus believed in hell. Paul says, talking about Jesus, Jesus was being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, and having told us why Jesus came, Paul went on to tell of Christ's present status. Therefore God has highly exalted him to the highest place. And he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This man. He taught people we should love our enemies and pray for those who despitefully use us. And when he was dying, said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This man, Jesus, spoke of hell. He called it a place of torment, a terrible place of loneliness, of full consciousness, of suffering after death. The rich man died. Can you imagine his funeral? Wow! That would have been some procession. 
all the pomp and show of his wealth. And we also read, and the poor beggar died. Then Jesus, in a parable form, tells of an imaginary conversation between the rich man in hell and the one person to whom all Israelites looked, Father Abraham. We should not interpret this with wooden stupidity, but see what Christ was teaching. It's interesting to notice this man. Knew his Bible. He asked not only that his tongue might be assuaged with a fingertip of water, but that Lazarus, that poor wretched man whom he had ignored at his gate, send him to my five brothers to stop them coming here. And that didn't work either, because Father Abraham said in the parable, between us and you, there is a great chasm. Nobody can come from there to here or from here to there. Hell has no way back. But if someone could go from the dead, Father Abraham, at least my brothers wouldn't have to come here. Send Lazarus. Same arrogant man. Well, actually, there was a real live Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary, who lived in a town called Bethany, and Lazarus did die. And um, Jesus turned up three days later, and drew Lazarus back from the grave, and suddenly he was, came, became alive. Do you know, a few days later, it's utterly, it's one of the most incredible passages of Scripture, I think. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there, and they came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So there was no argument about this. People didn't say how it happened. No, let's go and see this guy who's come back. I often feel sorry for Lazarus having to put up with those two girls again, but that isn't actually in the story. We read this. So the chief priests, the leaders of the religious leaders of the day, made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Let's get rid of the evidence. For of an account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The Jewish leaders wanted to kill a person whom Jesus had raised to life. Remember a few days later, they gave the instructions. Go and tell the people that his disciples came and stole his body away so that they don't believe that Jesus Christ has risen. That was God's most blessed news. 
Why does anyone go to hell? God never, ever sent anyone to hell. Have you got that? God never sent anyone to hell. In writing to young Timothy, the Apostle Paul said this, How from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And the rich man and his brothers ignored the Word of God, albeit the Old Testament. Yesterday, we were given quite a lot of instruction of getting to know the Bible. There are going to be, I think it's a thousand copies of the Gospel of Mark for us to give out, and we've got to do it this way. I, I've read this book. I would like you to read it and be ready to answer any questions that are put to us. And also, in a fortnight after that, in about a month's time now, there's going to be a presentation of the gospel, the whole gospel of Mark, acted out right down here on Saturday evening and on the Sunday morning. So come and see the gospel of Mark in one and bring your friends. There's no second choice. Jesus gave us a fearful picture of hell. Very frequently he spoke of the kingdom of God. Again and again in Matthew's gospel, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like this, in the way that you would say, hey, you must come and have a look at my home. i got a fabulous home. I'd like you to come and have a look at it. And Jesus did that about his home, heaven. But I think I'm right in saying that not once did he say the kingdom of God is like or the kingdom of heaven is like without giving people a warning not to miss it. Our theme for today is a living hope away from that horrible possibility. Here indeed is a clue to God whom we worship, the God whom we long for, our friends and neighbors. We long for them to come to know during this year of outreach and what follows it. And in finishing, I want to just quote what the Apostle Peter said. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Now will you say that with me? 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Again. Please, go home and read that before lunch, or at least before you zizz off after lunch. What are you going to read? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of that salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer 
grief, and all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do you want your friends and neighbors to know that hope? God, we thank you for the wonder of the love of Jesus, your love in sending him, the Holy Spirit's love in opening up your word to us. Help us to read it, to love it, to learn it, and to live by it, that we may one day receive that glorious hope.